from him who was and who is and who is to come, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus. Dear Christian friends, things break. I'm pretty sure you knew that, right? It's kind of a reality of life. Uh, If you paid any attention to the last week and maybe you experienced it, hail tends to break things like windshields and cars and roofs and windows. Yes, right? Things break. Maybe you didn't, you were spared from the hail this last round, but maybe you have a, a car or an appliance and the parts are starting to wear out. Or maybe you just have bones and ligaments that, whew, maybe they aren't broken at the moment, but boy, they're strained and they're stretched and they're worn, right? Computers crash. The list could go on and on and on of, of all the things that break and the causes, well, they could too, couldn't they? Accidents, freak things that just we have no control over or just wear and tear that wears parts, wears parts of us down, wears it out. A fall, a virus, etc., etc., etc. Things break. It is sadly a reality of, of the world we live in, of our lives, and, and I don't know about you, but I particularly get frustrated when things break, right? Whether it's, whether it's a body part that doesn't work the way it used to or the way it should, whether it's a, a car part that breaks and now I'm stuck and I'm stranded, it's frustrating when things break because it forces you to stop and either have to repair or replace, and, and it slows you down, it changes the routine of life. Things break, and that stinks. Did you know it wasn't always that way, though? Back in the, the beginning of the Bible, back at the very beginning of time, when God made everything, he, he paused at the end of his making of everything, And he looked around and he pronounced, he announced for all of time that what he had made was very good. And this is according to God's perfect standards. What God had made was very good. Now, perhaps we're tempted to think, well, yeah, it was was less than a week old. I mean, it just hadn't had a chance to break yet. But that's not what God meant. We might think that because that's the only experience we know. It's kind of sad, isn't it, that, that in our world, things are either broken or waiting to break. You buy a new car, it might be new today, but pretty soon it's going to need this, and then it's going to need that, and it may be in an accident, and then it's done. And the car insurance company says it's a total loss. It's broken. Things are either broken or they will break. That is the reality of the world that we live in. But that's not the way God made it. When God announced that it was very good, he had made everything perfect. It's amazing that to, to, try to, to try to grasp that, right? It, it wasn't going to break. It wasn't going to wear out. 
There weren't going to be any accidents. There would be no damage, no destruction. There would be no, no brokenness. So how did we get from a time and a place where nothing would break ever to where we are today where things are either broken or waiting to break? Well, it wasn't an accident. And it wasn't a goof on God's part where he forgot to, to put this one widget in just the right way and it failed at a critical point and everything fell apart. Nope, that wasn't what happened. God had made it exactly perfectly correct. It was no accident. It was a deliberate act. And it was a deliberate act by, by the very people he had made everything for. The peak of his creation, the pinnacle of what God had made, this earth for people, and they actively broke it. See, God had given Adam and Eve one simple command, right? Don't eat from that tree. And, and it wasn't like they were unsure exactly what God meant. It was a pretty simple command, but re remember, this is, this is imperfection. They knew perfectly what God meant. They understood perfectly how to obey him. And they knew perfectly that listening and obeying God was their way of showing him love. And yet they chose to disobey. They chose to eat what God had said not to eat. They chose to break his command. And in doing so, they broke his creation. Because the, the result was not just that Adam and Eve were broken. It was that creation was broken. Everything now would break. And God announced there were going to be consequences, repercussions, pain that is the result of this brokenness that Adam and Eve would live in. And he told them, it's going to be difficult. Life is no longer going to be a joy and a pleasure. It's going to be hard. Having kids is going to be painful. Relationships are going to be difficult. People are going to be difficult. Work is going to be hard, and results are going to be hard to come by. But you know what was perhaps the worst consequence, the worst result of this? It's what we heard about in our first scripture reading today, that Adam and Eve would never be able to have an offspring that was not broken. Every descendant from them, and they were the only two people, Generation after generation after generation, all humankind that has two human parents, every single one of us has been born into this world broken. And what compounds that is that often that's kind of unrealized by people. Most people go through life and they see only the results of brokenness. We know this, right? We know what's broken. I mean, the, the kids this morning in our children's message even identified brokenness, right? Broken expectations. We hope for one thing, we want one thing, we try for one thing, and we fail. Broken trust. We've 
We've all been there. Broken relationships. Done that. Broken hearts from the loss of a loved one. Broken bodies. Whether it's eyesight or hearing or a heart or joints or ligaments or just abilities. Many people today know the brokenness of of divorce, right? But God said he didn't want to break and we've experienced it, whether it's on our own or because of our parents. Now, brokenness, that's something that we know We know far, far too well, and we know the the pain and the grief and the hurt that goes with brokenness. But often, that's all that people know of brokenness, are the results of brokenness. And that's a problem. Because when you think that the brokenness of the world is limited to the things that we see, the, the pain and the grief and the suffering and the hurt and the sadness in the moment, when you think that's all that's broken, well, there's a problem with that because we're tempted to think, well, that's not so bad. We can fix that, right? We can deal with that. I mean, think about, think about how we try to deal with things that break in our lives. A kid who, who breaks mom's treasured trinket, right? and tries to slide it over just enough behind the other one so that you can't see the part that broke off, right? And don't we do that? When it's just grief or hurt or expectations or a relationship, we try to hide that brokenness, but it's not really hidden. Maybe from a few people for a little while, but it's, it's not fixed and it's not gone. Or... We try to overcompensate, right? If your, your dishwasher breaks and you don't have the time or the money or the energy to fix it right now, and so on your way home from church, you, you stop at the grocery store and you buy the, the bulk size container of dishwasher soap and you, a bunch of extra dish rags because you want to feel not quite so bad as all of the dishes pile up and And that appliance that's meant to do this very thing but is unusable sits there and haunts you and mocks you, right? And we do that too, don't we? When we feel pain and grief and sadness, we try to overcompensate, don't we? We try to minimize that pain even if it's just for a little while. And so we'll turn to alcohol or drugs or pornography or a spending spree or anything that lights up that that pleasure response in our brain for just a short time to help us forget about that pain and about that brokenness, to try to just tamp that down a little bit. But it's not fixed and the pain isn't gone. See, the brokenness of of grief, of sadness, of hurt, and of broken trust and expectations and relationships, that's not really the problem. The problem is our first takeaway this morning. It's that I am what is broken. 
I am what is broken. And all of the rest, all of that pain and that grief and that sadness and that hurt and that suffering, that's symptoms and results of my brokenness. Now here's why that's a problem. I'm going to illustrate it with this pencil. This pencil is intended for a very specific purpose, right? It's intended for using to write. This pencil is now broken. That's a problem because I can't use it to, for what it's intended for at the moment, right? But because I have this handy-dandy pencil sharpener, I can put it in here, turn it a few times, get a nice sharp point, and it's back to using it again. It may not be perfect. It may not be quite what it was. It's, it's shaved down a little bit. It's, it's been affected, but it's still able to be used. It's still able to go on. But what about when this pencil is broken? <laughs> Can't break the last stub. See, back in the day when you were in like third grade, it was really cool to have a little stub of a pencil that would write. But it's not so cool anymore. If you have a pencil like this, what do you do? You pitch it. Because it's not useful. It, its purpose, it's gone. Because it's so completely broken that it's, per, it's rendered its purpose meaningless. That's a really important point for us to understand. Because I want you to put yourself in God's shoes for a moment. And someone cries out to you in their grief. Someone cries out to you because of, of hurt and a broken relationship and broken trust and a broken heart. And if you're God, what, what do you do? Well, it's easy to put just a little band-aid of, of peace or a little, a little band-aid of hope little band-aid of, of happiness. And God can and God does do that. But what's the problem? There's going to be a new pain, a different sadness, a new hurt. Ten minutes from now, tomorrow, next week, next month, it, it just never ends. It's an, it's an endless life of band-aids. And God knew that's not really going to fix the problem. Because what's broken is not the grief, it's not the sadness, it's not the pain, it's not the relationship. Those are simply symptoms. Those are results from the brokenness. No, the brokenness is much, much deeper. It's something a Band-Aid is not going to fix. Because what's broken is at the very core of every single person. So if you're God, what would you do? Go back in time again to, to that very beginning when, when the peak of God's creation ruined what was perfect. Broke it all. What would you do? Would you say, to hell with them? Literally? You broke what I made perfect. You, I made you to live, to love, to, to worship me perfectly in glory. 
And you can no longer do that. You can no longer serve your purpose. So I'm done with you. It's what he could have done. It's what he would have been totally and perfectly right to do in his justice. But it's not what he did. Instead, God promised to fix it. He promised to send a Savior to not just fix the grief and the pain, but to fix the source of the problem, to fix what is truly broken, to fix us. And throughout history, then God restated that promise, right? Ever since that first fall into sin, ever since Genesis, God restated his promise over and over and over again to send a Savior until he left his throne in heaven and he came to be that very Savior. And the words of our sermon text this morning from Isaiah 53 are some of the more well-known, one of the more well-known promises God made of what he was going to do when he came to fix what was broken. Let's look at Isaiah 50, excuse me, 50, 53, verses 2 through 5. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, and he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. These words are completely amazing. Think about this for a moment. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Think about how broken this world is, that, that what are the things that we value? We value appearance and looks and physique and body and fame and fortune and wealth and power. Those are all the things that we value. And here is the one person in the history of the world who got to choose what situation he was born into and what he was going to look like. Jesus didn't choose a strong jawline or high cheekbones or movie star hair or a rockin' physique. He didn't choose to be born in the palace of all palaces. He came as one less than no one. He chose to be born insignificantly in a, a barn of all places. He chose to have no beauty, nothing in his appearance that would say, oh, look at that guy. We should follow him. And we didn't. Right? The, the Bible makes clear, look what the result of Jesus coming. He was despised and rejected, not by one or two people, by mankind, 
That's a sweeping statement of every person. Despised and rejected. Think of how broken you and I and all people are. Think of how broken our world is that God said, I'm going to send someone who's going to fix what's broken, and he comes and we say, ew, yuck. I want nothing to do with you. I despise you, right? Like one from whom people hide their faces. This is worse than middle school bullying. This is outright, ugh, you're gross. And think of how people throughout history, from the first promise right up until today. Isn't that true? Jesus says, I want you to do this. And we go, oh, shoot. I don't want to do that. That's hard. That's, that's no fun. Instead, we, we take him and we mock him. And we make a mockery out of him and out of his grace and out of his name, using it as a punchline and as an exclamation point. The one who came to fix what's broken and the very people who needed him despised him. And yet, surely, he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. See that rejection that Jesus faced? The brutality of the last days of his life, the the punishment that he suffered, the nails, the wrath of God, that wasn't his. That was yours. That was mine. That was ours. He suffered unspeakable, literally hell itself because of us. He suffered for us. And that's what the beauty of our second takeaway is. That Jesus took what makes me broken. And that's my sin. And he paid for all of it. He didn't pay for some of it. He didn't pay for part of it and say, you figure out the rest. He did what we can't do. And he paid for all of it. And look at how the last verses of our text make that so beautifully clear. He was pierced for our transgressions. All the time that we cross the line, God says not to cross. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. The punishment that brought us peace It was on him. By his wounds, we find our healing. Now, generally, when something breaks, there are two questions that you need to answer before you decide whether to repair it or replace it, right? One is, is it still usable? If I fix it, is it worth it? Is it still going to function? We already talked about that, how we were broken beyond repair, and yet God to save us. The second question, though, is at what cost? Because if your dishwasher breaks and the, the cost to fix it is 400 bucks, well, you might as well just get a new dishwasher. That's what's so amazing about what God did. Because the cost, whew, it was great. 
It was huge. It was so immense that the Bible says no human being, no person can save another. The cost is too great. Take all of Bill Gates' money, all of every other billionaire in the world, pool it all together, you can't even save one soul. Take all of the combined power in this world, can't save one soul. We can't do it. Not able to. No one, nothing could save you or me except Jesus. And that's the very thing that he did. And he could because he never, not once, broke any of God's laws. He was unbroken. And yet he took the punishment for all of the brokenness of this world. His unbroken, perfect life, the life that God demands that you and I live, that he wants us to have. Well, now he sees that you have it. And not because you've done so well, not because you've tried really hard, but because Jesus did. And he gives it to you because of Jesus, by trusting in him as your Savior. And then all of that brokenness, all of what what makes us broken, not just the pain and the sadness, not just the results of brokenness, but truly what, what makes us broken, Jesus took. And he took to the cross, and he was crushed, and he was pierced for it, for them all. And that's what makes what he did so amazing. It's our third takeaway this morning that the cost of my sin was great. It was, it was huge, beyond anything I could even possibly comprehend paying. But God's love is greater. Jesus was abandoned by God instead of us. Jesus was punished instead of you. And that's why he did this, because of his love. Right? We sang it before, amazing grace, undeserved love. It's amazing. He did this. He was pierced and crushed and punished and all of those other things because he wanted you to know life the way it was meant to be. To know life unbroken. To know true life. Because he promises that for all who trust in him as their Savior, their sins have been paid for, they're forgiven, and you have heaven. That he will take you to heaven with him forever. And he says in heaven, there's no more sadness or hunger or pain or hurt or grief or suffering because there is no sin. There are no symptoms and results of brokenness because the source of brokenness, sin, is nowhere to be found. It's gone. It's destroyed because Jesus destroyed it. In heaven, there is no brokenness because heaven, in heaven, it's perfect. It's with God himself. And that's what Jesus wants for you. Not just the absence of suffering, but perfect and eternal life with him. True life, free from anything that is broken. 
Now, until then, we're still going to have grief, aren't we? We're going to have pain. We're going to have sadness. We're going to have hurt. We're going to have broken. But in spite of all of that, and even through it, we can have peace. We can have hope. Because the Bible says that Jesus gives us peace that goes beyond just this feeling of inner calm or just this absence of external conflict. It's peace of knowing that I am right with God, that he loves me not because I have done everything just right, but he loves me because of Jesus. And he loves me as his dear child, and he's got a place for me with him forever. It means that when I am hurt, and when I hurt others, that I have a way to fix that. And it's not a way that's native or natural, but it's a way that Jesus gives. And it's forgiveness. And because he has forgiven me, I am able to forgive and be free from that hurt and that grief and that bitterness. It means that in the, in the grief of death, I'm able to see beyond my grief and see the joy of eternity. And it means that I know God's promise that he says because he loves me that all of the sadness and all of the heartache and all of the brokenness that I suffer through in this life that he promises every single piece of that he is working for my good for my eternal and my spiritual good. See things break. It's reality, right? But it won't always be. Because Jesus came to save you and to prepare a place for you with him in a place that has no brokenness. Because he gave his life for you, you can live looking forward to that gift and you can live with peace and with hope and with joy in spite of things breaking in this world. Because Jesus has come and fixed what's broken. Amen. May the peace of our God, which goes beyond our human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Jesus our Savior. Amen.